Hello, Tim. Who are you? Ray Lawson's the name. I'm the conductor on the 713. Passes by every night, right here on track number one. You know the train? Uh, I don't think so. You'll learn. I've had my eye on you. I see you on these tracks every night. You want to be a train man, don't you? Uh, yeah, I guess. 713's due by real soon. Buckets. This is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast, where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name is Joey. And I'm Andrew. And this is episode 59. A very special episode. We'll be talking to the co-creator of Are You Afraid of the Dark, DJ McHale. Yeah, the one and only. Yeah. Um, this is like, so, so we've done three interviews. Um, we we talked to Will McRob, yeah. uh, Venus DeMilo, and now DJ. But I'd say between like Will McRob and DJ, those were two where we were like, oh, in a fantasy world, yeah, maybe someday <laughs> we'll talk to these people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just very it's incredible to find out like where these stories are coming from. Yeah. You know? Which are very real, cool, normal yeah, people. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, very kind of unexpected. Yeah. Oh, like down to earth they are, have yeah. been. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, we talked to him pretty much uh, exclusively about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, pick his brain a little bit, uh, kind of where the ideas come from, and yeah. uh, some episodes that he really remembers. Um, so I think it'll be pretty informative for yeah. all those people who really like <laughs> Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, and then after the interview, uh, you and I are going to pick our, what, top three? Top three, yeah. DJ McHale stories yeah <laughs> or, written and directed yeah. yeah um he pretty much is uh credited as a writer on all 91 <laughs> yeah sounds like he um did a lot of like maybe didn't sit down and write every single one like completely but like right always had, had a, a big hand in yeah, it. yeah yeah um so we'll pick our top three that he wrote and then he uh directed about 23 i think yeah. we said um 23 episodes so we'll pick our top three that he was involved in both ends um, and we talked to him a little bit about directing, so uh, you'll hear that. Uh, should we play the interview? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Thank you Thank for you. Uh, joining us on the Big Orange Couch. Uh, how long have you been doing the Big Orange Couch? <laughs> uh, like just a year. Uh, you've, I checked out. You've been doing. You did a lot of podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We uh, started cranking them out once we got going. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is a exciting moment for us um, personally. Uh, I know. Um, Are you afraid of the dark? Was just a big inspiration, I think, for us growing up, and uh, for me personally. Um, it kind of pushed me to think about writing myself. And I think yeah. seeing the, uh, just the midnight society for the first time was like kind of a moment where I was like, Oh, I could do that. I could write <laughs> stories, you know? Uh, so that was, 
Awesome. Um, so, uh, by the way, this is Joey. So thanks. thanks yes, for, I'm Andrew. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, thanks. Hi, for, Andrew. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe um, let's just start. There's been some big news lately that uh, there's perhaps an Are You Afraid of the Dark movie happening. Uh, I didn't know if you knew anything about that or were involved at all. Uh, yeah, um, there is a movie happening. Um, it's kind of in a weird place right now because um, there are still negotiations going on. I think they may have announced it kind of quick um, because the you know, the ownership of the show is really kind of a complicated thing between a number of parties, and mm. and that's actually kind of all going through negotiations right now. Wow. Um, I, I, I'm fairly certain it'll be worked out, but, uh, but it isn't finalized yet. So, um, so, and I'm in the middle of those negotiations. So, uh, so as of this second, um, I am not directly involved in it at all, but, but, uh, frankly kind of surprised when it was announced. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, yeah, I heard about it from, from fans. Oh, wow. Uh, Who called me to, who called to congratulate me? (laughs) Really? About what? (laughs) So uh, <laughs> that's uh, so there there are negotiations that are going on right now. So I don't know how they're all going to come out, but hopefully it'll come out well and it'll be uh, a good thing for everybody, and the movie will get made. But um, but yeah, yeah, so it's certainly in the works. Awesome. Okay. But I know nothing more about it other than that. <laughs> okay, we we had to ask. <laughs> well, we hope you're involved, but yeah, we'll see. Um, so uh, you were the co-creator of the show with Ned Candle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, I'm. I'm just wondering. Um, I. I knew a little bit about. Uh, you worked with him on uh, a show before. Are you afraid of the dark? Right. Yeah, I. I met Ned. He actually hired me, based on an after-school special that I wrote of all things, because uh, he was producing the TV version of Encyclopedia Brown, Boy Detective uh. for HBO. And uh, he saw this after-school special I wrote. I'm not so sure how he connected the dots to say, hmm, here's this really earnest, dramatic after-school special. I think I'd like this guy to write a wacky detective (laughs) mystery about a little boy. I don't know. (laughs) He made that leap in logic. He actually was correct. (laughs) He did hire the right guy. Um, So I wrote that show for him. I didn't have anything to do with the production. I just wrote all the episodes. Um, and then once it was done, we said, Hey, we can, we can make our own show together. Why don't we do that? And then ultimately that led to, are you afraid of the dark? Cool. Um, what, what, what for you? Cause, uh, since our podcast is mainly, um, our podcast is mainly about like looking back at nostalgic things. What for you growing up was like the stuff that kind of inspired you either both in writing or getting into film. What was the stuff you were watching or reading? Well, oddly enough, and this ties back into Ned, I guess, that that you may have heard this in another podcast or whatever. Our, our original idea was to do a direct-to-video uh, project that was bedtime stories for lazy parents, which was <laughs> we're going to get some old guy to read nursery rhymes and record it, and, and parents could put it on when they didn't feel like reading to their kids. Where we kind of hit a brick wall was, it was a good idea, except brick wall was well what kind of stories are we going to do you know little bit of riding hood you know three little pigs you know just this was so boring 
so Ned asked me, he said, what kind of stories do you like when you were a kid? And I said, well, I like scary stories. <laughs> and so that's that was kind of the beginning of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, and so to answer your question, yeah, for, for whatever reason, I, I loved spooky stories. And, and to this day, I love spooky stories. I'm not, I'm not a big horror fan, per se. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of you know, gushy, bloodletting, lopping, maniac killer stories. They, they, they don't do anything for me. <laughs> but the thing about horror stories is that they're always mysteries. Yeah, and uh, and I love being able to sleuth it out, and then also with something at stake, something something scary at stake, whatever it is. So uh, I read a lot. In fact, when I was a kid, Alfred Hitchcock, I want to say Alfred Hitchcock put out, but he probably just lent his name to um, a bunch of anthology spooky stories mm-hmm. that were collected from a lot of different authors. Um, and he put them out in these you know, compendiums of scary stories, and I would just eat those up. Uh, also, I remember, there were magazines, and they may still be out now, but like Creepy Magazine and Eerie Magazine, yeah. <laughs> which full of just macabre stories. I remember there was one that my mother was so appalled that I was reading this thing. She she didn't take the the comic book away from me. But she glued together the pages of this one story, so I couldn't, I couldn't read it. I'm like, what? Come on, you great? I remember it, too. It was about some guy who, for whatever reason, he decided to live in the stacks, you know, the dusty stacks of a library. And and he ended up like eating rats and, and cooking them against the light. It was really twisted and weird. And my mother just said, that's disgusting. You shouldn't be reading this stuff. Uh, so uh and then and also and even you know maybe a little bit later than that my buddy and i used to go to these horror matinees at this local um theater in the one town over from us that would play the most obscure ridiculous european horror movies that i've not seen before or since um just some some really twisted things like ooh man um so you know god knows why i was attracted to that but i think i've always been attracted attracted to the the weird yeah and the i mean not in my not in my real life i mean i'm a normal guy <laughs> but uh, i think but but just those kinds of stories really appeal to me there was a tv show which you guys probably never heard of um on the 60s called the wild wild west oh yeah and um it, it was a western and i was never a western fan until i watched the show and it was essentially kind of james bond but in the west and the the plots in that show were so strange and the villains were so weird and and that really influenced a lot in fact there <laughs> there was one episode i watched not that long ago you know you, you turn on an old show cause there's some cable channels that play old shows and i put it on and i was like oh my god this is like an already heard of the dark episode. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is so weird in fact in fact um i i could say that the kind of early inspiration for dr vink um, was a character that was a recurring character on the Wild Wild West called Dr. Loveless. <laughs> wow. I don't, I, I, I don't know what kind of doctor he was. But, but he, he was played by a, a dwarf. Yeah. Um, and, and he always had bizarre things. And then when they made the movie uh, with Will Smith, uh, Kenneth Branagh oh. played Dr. Loveless. Um, and and so I kind of, you know, that was all in the kind of the back of my head, and that's how things kind of came out. So as much as I say the Twilight Zone influenced Are You Afraid of the Dark, yeah. I think the Wild Wild West <laughs> influenced Are You Afraid of the Dark, too. But again, just because of the odd 
plot lines, not just straight ahead, good guys, bad guys, shoot them up stuff. It was always some twisted, yeah. weird thing that's going on. Yeah, you you mentioned that Dr. Loveless, you didn't know what type of doctor he is. And I think, like, even with Dr. Vink, that's kind of the scary part, is that he has doctor <laughs> as part of his title, but doctor of what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Let me, let me see that diploma that you there, pal. <laughs> um, you mentioned that your mom would, like, sometimes monitor what it is you were reading or watching. Uh, did you ever get pushback from parents from Are You Afraid of the Dark? I... Oddly enough, no. Um, when Are You Afraid of the Dark was a tough sell at Nickelodeon. They, when I originally pitched it to them, they were just horrified. They're like, you, you can't do this. Um, to this day, I still get pushback when I try to you know, pitch other shows and projects that are kind of spooky for kids. People still say, you can't do this, and even though I've proved you can do it. Um, I, and so they, were so they, Nickelodeon, was so nervous that they would get pushback from parents. They gave me a mandate that uh, it was really in the first couple seasons, they said, what we want you to do is, as much as you can, base your stories on using literary antecedents, you know, classic literature. Yeah. yeah. So therefore, if we get pushback, we can say, <laughs> what are you talking about? This is classic <laughs> literature. Yeah. Are you crazy? Uh, but not once. I don't know if that means because parents weren't watching. I don't know if, if you know, we never... There, I mean, there were moments in the 91 episodes we did. Uh, there are maybe a couple of moments where I look back and think, "Ooh, I can't believe we got away with that." But, <laughs> but not that we're tr- not that we're trying to get away with anything. But yeah. you know, sometimes we push the envelope a little bit. Um, but mostly we didn't. It was because there were never any real payoffs. There were rarely payoffs. It, it was always the threat of what you might see, <laughs> what you might do, and so so. You know, no, we never. And not one, not best of my knowledge. And then if it ever went to Nickelodeon, they never came to me with it. They just they just said, "Go ahead, have fun, make your show." <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Uh, well, I think that's one of the great things about that show, um, and a lot of the Nickelodeon shows at the time is that they weren't like um, condescending toward their audience. I guess like it was for kids, but I always felt like I was watching an an adult tale, kind of. So I really liked that about it. Um, is it? Well, it's, it's funny you, you say that. My partner Ned used to say his, and this even goes back to Encyclopedia Brown. He'd always say, "We're writing for adults and casting short people." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's. I mean, it, that's actually. You know, people often ask me and say, "Why do you write for kids or you yeah. know, try to do something for adults?" And, and I, my answer to that is, you assume I'm trying. You know, <laughs> I, I just write what I write, yeah. and that's what comes out. Cool. So, so it's just you know whether I have a juvenile mind or whatever. <laughs> so, it's, so, so it's kind of like the stuff that I write. It's not just Are You Afraid of Dark with my books too. It's yeah. or my other TV shows is that I kind of write adult light. Yeah. <laughs> where it's it's show stories that will appeal to adults, but there's really nothing that edgy or disturbing that is inappropriate for kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just what comes out of my head. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, a lot of uh, the episodes are, I notice in your writing, it seems like it's really character driven. And I think you kind of touch upon that in some other interviews. But um, is there any uh, like tricks you use to that? Uh, I mean, do you have that in mind the whole time? Like you're really focused on these characters rather than 
I guess, the gimmick of the story. The gimmick, yeah. Um, yeah, well, it, that was intentional. I mean, like yeah. any story, you know, whether you're doing Are You Afraid of the Dark or fill-in-the-blank dramatic story, it, it begins and ends with characters. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about creating characters that the viewer or the audience or the reader is going to care about, whether they like them or hate them or whatever it happens <laughs> to be. And then the story is just who, who wants something. And then the story is just the impediments that stand in their way from getting whatever it is that they want. Um, you know, I've said this a million times, but, you know, I, obviously I didn't write all the episodes. I, I rewrote all the episodes, but um, <laughs> but there were a lot of writers on the show, a lot of very talented, creative people. And with the beginning of each season, um, people would pitch me ideas. And, the, and so I wasn't necessarily hiring writers. I was buying ideas. But I'd always mm. have those writers write the story. Sometimes it worked out. Sometimes it didn't. But um, <laughs> So I'd have to <laughs> rewrite sometimes a lot, sometimes not a lot. Mm. Um, but inevitably, and this happened a lot, someone would pitch me the gimmick. Mm. Um, they'd say, you know, I'm, I've got a, a haunted uh, book. <laughs> I'm like, okay, who, who, are, the, who are the kids? And like, uh, like I don't know, a couple kids, but but then this haunted book. Whenever you read the book, it comes true. I'm like, all right, that's a cool gimmick, but who are the kids? And like, who cares? Like, no, I, want a, I want a story. <laughs> I want a story that it's about a kid or a couple of kids who are going through something, yeah. real life something that yeah. kids can relate to, that everybody can relate to. And once we're with them, and we and we'd be interested in watching them, even if they didn't get the haunted book. Um. Once we're with them and we care about what happens to them, then they find the haunted book. Then we're really with them. And somehow, way, shape, or form, their their personal conflict plays out as a reflection or simultaneously with the gimmick that's happening. Yeah. And that's how I think you get, um, you know, the sh- stories to have a little more resonance than just, oh, there's a boogeyman. Run yeah. from the boogeyman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's really what makes Are You Afraid of the Dark stand out above a lot of the other kind of horror things for kids that have been made is that there really is it's it's not a comedy it's not tongue-in-cheek there, there have been some tongue-in-cheek episodes but but it's really straight-ahead drama yeah, yeah. and there, there's always there's always humor in it too because any good scary stuff has humor but but at, at its core there's there's real character conflict going on that we're going to, in some way shape or form we're going to care about as they battle the boogeyman yeah. Yeah, no, we totally agree. Um, and I think I think a lot of people automatically associate you with writing, whether it's Are You For The Dark or you've you've done the Pendragon series, which has been really successful. And um, but but we, we noticed that you uh, directed, I think it's like about 23 episodes of Are You For The Dark. Um, was there was, like that, yeah. was there a certain like episode you were drawn to direct or like what was the decision to direct some episodes? Mm-hmm. But, you know, o- only yeah. some. Um, it, it was, <laughs> it was as much a product of, of, uh, enthusiasm and or fatigue, <laughs> um, because in, in, in the beginning, as I was just trying to get the show launched, so let's say the first season, I directed most of those episodes Yeah, and it was easier for me just to direct it to kind of set the tone as it was to try to explain mm. what I wanted. Yeah. Um, so, but as each successive season went on, uh, I directed less and less because I just I just couldn't keep up. <laughs> I mean, directing TV is a really difficult, thankless thing. Yeah. And in the meantime, I was writing the episodes and post-producing and you know <laughs> yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, 
So in the beginning, I wrote a lot. There's, I can relate one story that, I mean, I love all these stories. Um, there was one, I forgot what season it was, but um, it, it was, you know, a couple months before we started shooting, and I put the call out for people to pitch me ideas. And this one writer, Jerry Wexler is his name, he wrote a number of episodes. He pitched me the story that I loved. Right off the bat, I just loved it. Like, oh, this is a great story. So I worked with him, and I thought. So at that point in the in the series, I was like directing the first episode of the season. Maybe I do one in the middle, and then I do the last one. Yeah, kind of bookend it. So since I knew at this episode that I really loved, uh, I said, okay, this will be our last. Episode. I'll direct this episode last, <laughs> and and then forgot about it. And then developed the other 12 episodes and then shot the other episodes. I think it was the season we did Carter's Treasure, which is a big hour-long episode. Yeah. So so I'd forgotten about this episode. And it was a difficult season, and I was exhausted. And what I and I was going back and forth between Los Angeles, where I live, and Montreal, where we shot. <laughs> and I was in Los Angeles, and what would normally happen on an episode is maybe two or three weeks before we'd shoot, I'd get on the phone, or if I was in town, I'd have a meeting with my production heads, the production designer and, and the and one of the producers, just to go through the next script, for me to read the script to them, to tell them what's in my head, so they'd understand, they have their marching orders on what this is going to look like. And uh, we're getting towards this last episode, and I'm like, okay, oh, thank God, it's the last episode. <laughs> so I pulled this thing out, I hadn't read it in months, and I was still in Los Angeles, and I went on this phone call with these guys, fully prepared to end the phone call to say, and we got to hire a director because I ain't <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. But a funny thing happened over the course of reading this thing aloud for the first time in a couple of months, I was just so freaking seduced by this thing again and all the reasons that I loved it when I first bought it, I loved it again. And I finished it by saying, so I'll be there next week and I'll direct this thing. I it, it was an episode that no one remembers. I think I'm the only person who liked this episode. But, but, do you, but do you remember it. the name of it? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no one else does, but I do. It's called The Tale of Train Magic. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. About, about, about a kid who, whose father died who was a conductor on a train. It was about a ghost train. And, and I had so much fun with this episode. I got to play with real live trains giant full-scale trains with yeah. a tr model tra oh, so i love this episode if it makes you feel any i, I think oh, sorry <laughs> if it makes you feel any better we did our uh an episode on our favorite are you afraid of the dark episodes and we had several people write us that that was in their top five so <laughs> oh thank god that's the first time hearing that because that was like if they ever need to an episode are you afraid of the dark the lost episode that would be, that would be one of them um, but I'll tell you something about that episode, and that, that episode in some ways typifies what Are You Afraid of the Dark was, because, or is, because, you know, I read so many articles, and I talk to so many people about Are You Afraid of the Dark, and they're all, so many of them are skewed towards, what was the scariest episode? What what scared you the most? What was the most horrifying episode? And there's usually three or four that keep coming back. Yeah. And, and that's fine, and that, that's great, but, but... The idea of Are You Afraid of the Dark wasn't just to scare you. Yeah. Um, it was much more like The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone was not necessarily a scary show. Yeah. It was just a macabre show, and it was an ironic show, and it made you think in this weird thing. You know, it wasn't about boogeyman jumping out at you. <laughs> so w when you watched The Twilight Zone, you didn't get scared. It just made you thinking, you had this creepy feeling. And so 
and, and it also seems to me that a lot of the episodes that people remember the most and were scared of the most are ones that had kind of iconic boogeymen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes sense because there are images that stick in your head. Right. You know, a monster that sticks in your head, like the ghastly grinner or the or the uh, the monster in the pool, the ghost. <laughs> you know, things like that. People people remember that. Where trained magic, you know, it's a con- old man conductor. <laughs> you know, you're not going to remember it. <laughs> you're not going to have nightmares about this old man conductor or remember it. Uh, but it did that show. That episode to typify the show is that it was really a twisted, dangerous morality play. So that that was more more typical of Are You Afraid of the Dark, or at least what I want Are You Afraid of the Dark to be, than maybe even the one that everyone remembers, which is the invisible ghost in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People. yeah, I think there is, I, I think it's almost, it almost speaks to the, the person watching the episode, uh, that some, you know, some people are watching, you know, for the scares and frights. Andrew and I are both huge Twilight Zone fans, and I know we're always more attracted to almost like the more magical, like walking distance or, um, uh, last stop Willoughby. So like, I think oh, yeah. the the same the same would apply with Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's just almost like you got to figure out which type of yeah. audience you you got. <laughs> yeah, well that's that's one of the beauty of of I guess any anthology show is that uh, the the types of stories are all over the map. Yeah, and you're not gonna like all of them. And what 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 someone says, I like Last Stop Willoughby. Someone else is like, well, that wasn't scary. You know, it's, <laughs> it's all. You know, if you don't if you don't if you don't like this episode, wait a week because right. <laughs> there'll be another one that's, that's coming your way. Right. I, I have some episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, of which I will not mention any of them. That I just can't stand. No. They, they just so go against my grain. It's just like, oh god, I can't believe we made that. Well, not just because of it wasn't executed well it's just like it just it wasn't are you afraid of the dark to me but other people say that's some of their favorite episodes yeah, so, right. yeah. um kind of along that same line um i think this was one of the first shows at least for kids that had a lot of unhappy endings um <laughs> and that was just such a like as a kid that was kind of like mind-blowing it's like wow all stories don't have to end the same you know um, was that like something you were consciously doing or? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, okay, we need 50% happy yeah. things and 50% bad things. But, but I will say this, that all of them, and boy, you could probably find an example that's going to go against this, but as I'm, to the best of my knowledge, all of them had a positive and satisfying and happy conclusion. Hmm. But then some of them, there's that last scene yeah, yeah. to twist it to say, yeah. "Oh, but it's not." You know, it's kind of like the end, or is it? Yeah. So, so they all have satisfying conclusions where our characters triumph in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, but then you add that little kicker at the end to say, "But did they?" And even some episodes you wouldn't even think that, like um, the one about the girl who uh, uh, lives in fairy tale land. And gets sucked <laughs> under a bed by Bobcat Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, you know, she triumphs. She breaks the, the hourglass and she comes back and everything's fine and it's all over. And yay, we win and now I'm going to grow up and I'm not going to live in fairy tale land. So it's all kind of, oh, okay, they live happily ever after. But then we pan over to the book and we hear Bobcat's voiceover <laughs> saying, if she knew <laughs> that yeah. she never would have gone back in that bed again. So it's so there were a lot of endings like that. Yeah. 
Um, but there always was a moment of phew. He was. <laughs> yeah. Not really. Yeah. The the tale of dark music always stood out to me as that's a I mean pretty sinister ending of the kid <laughs> contemplating feeding his sister to the closet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but he did beat the bully and he, yeah. he did yeah. beat the bully and yay. <laughs> He's going to feed his bratty sister to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you, by chance, have an, uh, any kids? And, and if so, have they seen the show? Yeah, I have a, I have a 15-year-old daughter. Um, she, I started having her watch the show when she was about eight or nine years old, and it freaked her out. <laughs> and... Um, so she I don't, she hasn't seen all of them, but she's seen a lot of them, um, and I, I I don't necessarily I, I I don't know if I could take credit for this, um, but her favorite show now is Supernatural. Oh mm. yeah, she she's binge watched that show. It's like get off your computer, get, you know. <laughs> so I, I so I think I've I've kind of uh, infused her with a love of that kind of story. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh let me ask I, I will say something oh, about sure. when I said my mother wouldn't uh wouldn't let me uh <laughs> you know read some of those magazines. She also was kind of a twisted soul where she <laughs> she loved scary stuff. She used to call them ooh yeah stories. <laughs> like, ooh yeah, that's a good one. And uh it's it's you know, fairly well known to people who read my stuff that I am totally afraid of clowns. I have I'm a total bozophobe. And she at one point it was years ago. She called me up and she said, oh, have you read the new Stephen King book? And I said, no. She goes, oh, you have to read it. It's really good. Not telling me it was it. (laughs) Crazy clown. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. (laughs) She sounds fun. (laughs) Um, Let me ask you a specific question about an episode. The Dangerous Soup. Um, That's Mm -hmm. one that I kind of think about a lot. Um, did you have any idea what you thought that soup tasted like? <laughs> well, it was pea soup to begin with. Ah. <laughs> I mean, in actuality, it was, pea well, it was pea soup with some added food color to make it a little more bilious green. Mm. Um, I, you know, I I don't know. I it, it's you know it's kind of funny that in today's world, if it were on, we'd probably get flack because. It's really, it's really sort of a drug reference. Right <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that you get this charge out of having soup and oh, it's most delicious. You know, we, we, yeah. we get, to make that today, we'd probably get flack. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, uh, one thing, uh, something we've talked a lot about on the show is the effectiveness of like those opening credits, both in imagery mm. and music. Um, did you have any involvement with that, or was that something kind of Nickelodeon did? Uh, only with the sound uh, was I involved. Uh, Nickelodeon, I forgot whatever division it is, they made that um, title sequence and knocked it out of the park. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Um, they, and if I recall, when they sent it to me, I think it just had a couple of little sound effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but we added, the, um, the production added the music to it and, and mixed the whole thing sound-wise. Um, so, but but visually, which is really what sold that was uh, that was pure Nickelodeon. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, now that I guess it's been twenty years or something, uh, 
how have you kind of reacted to like this Nickelodeon resurgence? Are there people um, hounding you because of your connection to this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's remarkable. I mean, when you when you do something like make a show, it's a job. And, yeah. and you, you love doing the show, and it's important, and you work your best, and you're happy with the whatnot. But when it's over, it's over. Yeah. And, and you know, if you had asked me 25 years ago, you know, you're going to be talking about this show 25 years from now. I'd be like, yeah, right. The <laughs> <laughs> you know, show's come and go. Um, I will, I don't know if you heard the story. I've told the story before, but... Um, we were shooting the very first season of the show and um, we were in the prop room. It was me and Bill Bonecutter, who was one of our production associates, one of the producers on the show. Great name. And we're sitting there and we're looking at this um, big mannequin of Zebo the Clown mm. with this hideous face. And, <laughs> thing. and the two of us are sitting there and we're just looking. We hadn't even shot the show yet. And the two of us are looking at this thing. And really both questioning, what are we doing? <laughs> and, and he said, you ever worry that 20 years from now, somebody's going to come up to you and say, excuse me, you're DJ McHale? He'll say, yes. And he'll say, well, I'm Zebo the Clown. I can take out a gun and shoot you. You'll warp me for life. And I was like, yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I was, I was on a book tour, and I was someplace in the Midwest, Indianapolis, I think it was, and I was at a like a Bennigan's restaurant, and this this waiter comes up and he's like, uh, "Hi, I'm Joe. I'll be your waiter." I'm like, "Hey, Joe," and he goes, "What are you doing in town?" I said, "Well, I'm here for a book convention," and he goes, "Really? What have you written?" And I didn't think he would have known any of my books, but he was the right age for Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I said, "Well, you, you probably wouldn't know my books, but you might know a TV show I make called Are You Afraid of the Dark." And he suddenly got this crazed look in his eye, and he just said, Zebo the Clown. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like reaching for a knife on the table going, oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, so the idea that, that it has had – I mean, I think there's in general a, a resurgence of 90s nostalgia going on now. Uh, and it's been going on for a couple of years. Um it, maybe it's as much because the people who are nostalgic about the 90s are now officially adults yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and beginning to be nostalgic about the 90s. You know, yeah. You're old enough to be nostalgic about something and they have to be nostalgic about the 90s. Plus also they happen to be very media savvy and social media savvy. So right. it's out there all over the place. It's remarkable and it's it's fun. Yeah. It's, I, mean, I, I can honestly say not a day goes by that I don't interact with someone on a way, shape, or form about Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> Whether it's a conversation or an email or a, or a social media thing, every day, yeah. <laughs> without fail. It's, it's pretty amazing. It, it's a cool part of, I, I think it'd be a cool part, uh, like a cool legacy to kind yeah. of have. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I've always said that if I died tomorrow, uh, There'd be Are You Afraid of the Dark on my tombstone, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is actually not such a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, before we wrap up, uh, we had a couple listener questions, if that's cool. Sure. Um, uh, so from Vince, he was at, he asked about um, the filming with the Midnight Society. He said, um, "What was that like? And did they ever get to actually watch their stories as they were being filmed, or get to watch them before they were aired?" Um. 
No. <laughs> there was there was one episode we did where not counting the Silver Sight, which actually was about the Midnight Society. Right. That was very different towards the end. But uh, there was only one episode that I can remember where two of the Midnight Society members were actually in the tale. Uh. It was it was a Gary story. <laughs> um, I want to say it was super. Might have been super spec. I, I don't remember. But uh, he and. Ray, uh, Kristen was her character name actually went into a magic store that oh, supposedly yeah. Gary's father owned and that was his inspiration for uh-huh. Sardo. Um but other than that no they they just because of of uh budget and and scheduling and all that we shot all those midnight society scenes at the same time. Okay. We would shoot two episodes a day. In the morning it'd be one episode, in the afternoon it'd be the second episode. It, for a lot of reasons. One is we only wanted to build that forest once because it was all in forest. <laughs> um, and it, it, so we shot them over the course of, you know, six days, seven days, something like that all at once. And, um, which put a lot of stress on me because I had to make sure that I had, we had to do it early enough in the shooting schedule that we had the scenes to cut into the episodes that we had to deliver. Right. But but also, even though it was the head of the, the the beginning of the schedule, I had to know what all the stories were, right? Because mm-hmm. I had to write those scenes. You, you know, it couldn't be the could the Midnight Society couldn't be tonight's story is a very scary story, <laughs> it's a really scary thing, and I and I call this story the tale of so and so. You know, <laughs> later on, yeah, you couldn't do that. So that was that put the pressure on me. In the in the beginning, in the first season maybe it's the second season, I actually had the writers of the episodes writing the Midnight Society scenes as well. Hmm. But that proved to be too cumbersome. It was just hmm. like, it was so hard for them to get the scene, to get that rhythm of, you know, it was like a, a page and a half at the front of the show and a half page at the end. So from like second season on, I just wrote all the Midnight Society scenes. Yeah. That puts um, puts pressure on you to name the episodes as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. To name them, to add the story. Yeah, cause, yeah. And there had to be something within the Midnight Society scene that reflected the episode itself. So right. that was a lot of, pressure i mean the, the script didn't have to be finished but we had to know exactly what was going to happen or close yeah. to what was going to happen uh so yeah so they didn't really and, and that's one funny thing about the midnight society is that everyone associates them with the show uh and well they should yeah um but but for me because they were in every episode but for me the midnight society itself was such a small part of the show because it was so difficult making a different movie every week the right. easiest part to do is the midnight society <laughs> So, so that was just like, eh, let me do the night society. Okay, now <laughs> we gotta we gotta build some train or we know whatever it happens to be. Right. Uh, so it's kind of funny to me when I originally came up with the series. I knew even because it was anthology, I knew it was important because you have different characters every week. It was important to have continuity. That's why I thought the Midnight Society would provide continuity. Um, but it was such a small part of the show to me. But now, years later, everyone remembers the Midnight Society. So I I was right in doing it that way. I was yeah. wrong in discounting it as being important. <laughs> it was very important. Yeah. Cool. Um, two more questions. Uh, ben Ben asks, uh, how did Are You Afraid of the Dark going, go from um, airing in Canada to being picked up by Nickelodeon and then start airing in the United States? Well, it was the other way around. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> It did not begin in Canada. I've heard that a lot. Uh, never, ever trust Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, Ned and I 
show to Nickelodeon. That's where we did. We pitched the show to Nickelodeon. We developed the show with Nickelodeon. Um, the I wrote the first episode I wrote that sold it was called The Tale of the Prom Queen. That was the very first mm. episode that I wrote. Yeah. Um, Nickelodeon said, you know, we're not so sure this is going to work. So they commissioned me to write two more episodes, and I wrote The Tale of the Twisted Claw and another one. I think it might have been The Dark Music. Yeah. Um, and then that proved that it had legs. I had three episodes written. So I'll never forget the day that we went into the office and we're like, this is it. We're going to get this picked up. We're going to make the show. Here we go. And they said, yeah, we really want to do this show, but we don't want to pay for the whole thing. Yeah. We're like, what? <laughs> so we had to go out and find half the financing. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is where Ned really showed because Ned, <laughs> Ned went to this comp- company in Canada called Sinar, which actually was going to invest in Encyclopedia Brown, but then HBO said they do it all themselves. So he went back to Sinar and said, oh, we have a deal here. You want to pay for half the show? And they said, yeah, we'll do it. But in order to get all the Canadian tax credits and all that kind of stuff, we had to shoot in Canada. And uh, we had to use Canadian talent and all that kind of stuff. Oh, interesting. The show, pre- the show premiered first on Nickelodeon. When they... Um, they, the Canadians tried to sell it to the Canadian broadcaster that they wanted to sell it to. The Canadian broadcaster didn't want to do it. So they sold it to kind of a lesser broadcaster, got huh. less of, lesser of a license fee. Um, and then it aired on this kind of smaller channel up in Canada. But, but like six, seven months after it aired on Nickelodeon for the first time, once the larger Canadian broadcaster saw it, and said, oh, people actually like the show, then they picked it up. Uh, interesting. So, yeah. so yeah, this this was definitely homegrown Nickelodeon. You know, that's why you said here, Nickelodeon made the opening title sequence. It was it was shot in Canada. It was half financed in Canada. Uh, but it was Nickel- It was the Nickelodeon show, top to bottom. Uh, oh, very cool. We got we got no input from Canadian broadcaster or <laughs> Canadian uh, producer. <laughs> so it always cracks me up. They say, "Oh, this Canadian show." I'm like, "Oh, yeah." Okay. <laughs> well, there's probably a few Canadian kids out there, you know, still loving it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well. Now, having said that, there are. Boatload of Canadians who worked on it. Yeah, that was yeah. part of the deal. You, you go to Canada, you spend the money in Canada. So you know, directors and actors and all the crew. You know, that was all Canadian. Yeah. Um, but the guy at the head, me, I ain't Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then our last question is from Justin. He said, uh, "Were there any of the were any of the episodes or events in the episodes inspired by personal experiences that you or someone you knew uh, encountered firsthand?" Ooh, um, mm. you know, nah, not that I can think of <laughs> off the top of my head. I mean, certainly every story that anyone writes, inspiration comes from things that they've experienced in their life. That's, yeah. that's what good writing's about. Um, I, I, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, I mentioned before about uh, how my friend and I used to go to these horror matinees these weird European horror films at this theater in a town over from us, that theater itself was kind of um, the inspiration for the Midnight Madness theater yeah. where Dr. Vink comes in to show his movies and you know, all those old-fashioned theaters, single-screen type theaters. Yeah. So, so you know, it's moments like that are taken from real life. Now, 
there wasn't a vampire that came out of the screen at that theater. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't happen in real life. But the, and, and also a lot of episodes were inspired. What I would do is um, people, you know, you look at the show and the production value is pretty good for a cheap show. Um, and people would say, how did you, how did you pull that off? Where did you find that location? What are you doing? And the answer is sometimes it worked backwards where I'd go up to Montreal where we shot it and the production uh, scout would, I'd say, show me cool places. Yeah. And she'd take me around to really fun places and I'd see these places and say, Oh, I bet I could <laughs> have a story here. Yeah. So like, like for example, there's a story we did called the hatching. Oh, it's yeah. one of my favorites. Uh, boarding school. <laughs> yeah, with, and, and down below there was all these you know, lizards being hatched in these giant incubator <laughs> pools. That was a, um, like a 1930s era water filtration plant uh-huh. that, that she took me to. And I was like, Oh, I bet talk about the gimmick driving the, the story. But I was like, Oh, I bet I could do something really cool with this thing. So now if I had imagined, uh, uh incubators at the bottom of the school, and we had to build them. That would be impossible, <laughs> but I knew yeah. they existed. <laughs> We'd go and shoot them there. So, so no story in particular was inspired. Oh, oh, no, actually, I can't come up with one. I can't come up with one. There's an urban legend that is not necessarily an experience I had, but an urban legend that I always heard growing up that happened in one town over, the same town that had that theater in it. And the legend was it was about um, graduation night. And there's a cemetery in this town, and supposedly on graduation night, the ghost of this girl who was hit by a car in the corner of the cemetery would show up on the corner at this at Porchester High School, would show up there every graduation night. Wow. And I heard that story since I was a little kid. Now, obviously, it's not a personal experience, but I grew up with that story. Yeah. So I actually used that local urban legend to create the very first episode I wrote, wow. so the prom queen. I changed graduation night to prom night. Uh, and came up with the with the the prom night story. So yeah, so you know the ideas and inspiration comes from all sorts of personal experiences. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there we go. Yeah, that's really cool. I was ho- I was hoping maybe you had perhaps lived pinball wizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Most, that was the most difficult episode we did. <laughs> oh, um. God. Um, well, we really appreciate you taking some time with us. Oh, yeah. um, we we know you're you're still writing a ton. Like I, I'm not sure how you write that much, but um, <laughs> it, what, like, is there anything new out or like something you're working on that like people should look out for? Oh yeah, I just had a, uh, a uh, an audible audio book published last week um, called the Equinox Curiosity Shop, oh, okay. and it's a story that, that I wrote actually a long time ago, and uh, an audible. Audible audiobooks, Audible. Yeah, audible. Yeah, audible. Um, they said this is great. This would be a perfect audiobook for us. So it goes to, went direct to audio. So that just came oh. out. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Last week, um, and and I'm actually the third book in my series, The Library, uh, is going to be out in a couple of months. It's and oh. it's a spooky anthology series about uh, a library full of unfinished stories where kids go into these stories and have to complete the stories. So uh, there are two out now. There's going to be a third. So that's, 
Yeah. And I'm working on a bunch of other things, which may or may not see the light of day, but yeah. those are the ones that are out now between uh, the library and the Equinox Curiosity Shop. Those are those are the most current things out right now. That's awesome. cool. And yeah, I'm also working on a couple of TV shows that hopefully we'll see the light of day, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll we'll look out for it. Yeah, we hope to possibly see you involved with the Are You Afraid of the Dark movie. Um, that would be exciting. But uh, it's been awesome talking to you. Uh, it, you're one of our dream guests, for sure. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. It was my pleasure. Thank you, guys. And good luck with the, uh, the big orange couch. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Thanks thank a you. Lot. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. Right, bye now. All right. Bye. All right. <laughs> We're back. Uh, that was DJ McHale. Mm. Uh, awesome. Yeah, super nice guy, and super interesting to find out all this stuff about the show. Yes, yeah, seems like a guy that would be fun to sit down for a couple hours. Yeah, and <laughs> just really pick his brain about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's cool that kind of like Will McRobb, he's just so he's embraced rather than kind of rejected of like, oh, that was a couple decades yeah. ago. I don't really want to talk about that. <laughs> uh, you know, I think he knows it's it's a cool thing. Yeah, and that uh, people are in love with this thing. Yeah, up with. yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so what are we doing now? Well, let's hear our top three DJ McHale episodes. Written and directed by. Yeah. Um, and we talked about it. We've already done our favorite Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes. Yeah. But I judged a slightly different. Mm. Um, I really wanted to consider not just like, because I pick like The Tale of the Hatching, which he wrote and directed. Yeah. Uh, but I picked that for nostalgic reasons. Mm. This time around, I really went with like what I thought was the written really well and directed really okay. well. Okay. Kind of. A little different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Right. Well, uh, my number three is Pinball Wizard. Mm. Uh, it's it's weird. Even as a kid, like I I wouldn't have put it in my top episodes, I don't think. But watching back now, it's just like really interesting to see how they tackled that thing. Yeah. Like being in the video game, you know. And they, I think they did it pretty well. I mean, as good as they could. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of cheesiness to it. Yeah. But it's kind of good, and, yeah. you know, good cheesiness. Yeah, like you watch it now, and oh, okay, this was done on a budget, but yeah. uh, done well yeah. on whatever that budget that was. And thinking about like being in a video game, it's some of the cheesiness is like just surrealness that almost works because of that. You yeah, know, you almost like believe it more because you're like, this is supposed to be a game, and totally, you know. yeah. Um, my number three is the Tale of the Guardian's Curse. Um, and I just uh, like this episode a lot. So if you don't remember it, this one has uh, guest star Danny Cooksey, or you guys know him as Budnick from Salute Your Shorts. Uh, and, you know, it's a story. His dad works at a museum. The museum's kind of uh, inheriting this, you know, really rare mummy. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of a trapped in the museum, mummy comes to life type story. And I think, um, I think... Uh, it, it's really fun. Like, it's a really yeah. fun episode. Uh, as a kid, I remember really finding that premise scary. Uh, I think they did a lot of, like, <laughs> kind of cool work with the mummy. Yeah. The mummy kind of looked cool. Um, so it's probably not, it wouldn't make my favorite list, but uh, it's an episode that I think just kind of stands out to me as, like, well done. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the better mummy things in general. I mean, horror mummy. You yeah. Know? Um, just kind of really weirdly effective yeah, rather than like over the top goofball Hollywood uh, mummy, yeah, it's more of a like uh, like rotting 
kind of falling yeah, apart. Yeah. Like, should, even like when it gets up, it kind of seems like like it's like yeah, it's done. It's <laughs> yeah, the makeup's awesome. Just moving is kind of ruining the mummy. Yeah. Uh, it's a really it's really well done. Yeah. Um, so I remember not liking Danny Cooksey in it so much, but <laughs> <laughs> I think the writing, and the directing is pretty good. Yeah. Cool. So. Uh, well, my number two is the Twisted Claw. We've ah. talked about this a little. Yeah, um, we're in disagreement. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, but I love the episode. I mean, uh, of all the, the episodes taken from other st- older stories, I think I like this one the best. It's the weirdest. Mm. And uh, it taking place on Halloween is a big thing. And it's, like, about these kids that are friends. Like, just all the elements of it, like, just yeah. come together for me. Yeah. Some of my favorite uh, childhood moments, like, kind of mirror, mirrored in that episode. Such as? Well, I just mean in general. Like, oh. just uh, just the feeling of it, I guess. Being out at night. Like, there's not too many things like that. Like, Pete and Pete has a couple episodes where they're out at night, but besides that... Yeah. Uh, yeah, know. where it feels like they're really out in a neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. and it's just kind of kids screwing around. Yeah, you know? yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> also, the claw. The claw is great. Yeah, it is pretty good. It's a good, good prop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my number two is Pinball Wizard. Um, mm. It's just a. It feels like a little bigger than the average. Are you sure the dark episode? A little more ambitious. I mean, he mentioned there. We didn't get a lot of detail, but at the end there, he mentioned that it was a very difficult episode to yeah. make. And I feel like you can almost feel that. Yeah, uh, definitely. It, they probably bit off a little more than they could chew. Uh, you got that, like, I guess it would have had to been a CGI pinball there at the end. Yes, but, uh, I was going to mention that. Uh, what? I wonder how they did that. What was the deal? I don't think it was CG. I mean, it looked real, but it must have been, sm- like, maybe it was a model or something. Oh, man, if only we were able to talk I know, to DJ I should have <laughs> thought of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Next it's a, time. It's, it's a very, um, it's an episode, I think, at the time I didn't, I don't know. It felt like it was on a lot, so I maybe yeah. burnt out on it. Yeah, sure. But going back to it more recently, I'm like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> like, I, I get it. It's Definitely. Fun. And there's something scary about thinking about being trapped inside the mall for the rest of your life. That is terrifying. <laughs> more so than the game, being yeah. trapped in a mall <laughs> is much scarier. Uh, um, all right, well, my number one. Kind of predictable. Oh. It's Midnight Madness. Yeah, that's uh, mine too. Yeah. It, oh, okay. Yeah, it's just so good. I can't get over it. Like all the elements of that one came together like perfectly. Yes. I feel like. Yeah. Not to mention it's a movie theme, mm-hmm. so it it's just right up my alley. Yeah. If I mean hearing him talk about kind of his experience with like an old movie house. Yeah. It makes sense that this came from kind of somewhere real. Um, you got your clap. Rather than an Are You Afraid of the Dark invented villain, you got this classical vampire who put, they put a twist on. Yeah. Kind of their own little touches. Uh, cl- classy touches. Yeah. I mean, they did it really well. And uh, the, the two main actors are pretty good. Not always not always the case in Are You Afraid of the Dark. Yeah. Hit and miss with the kid actors. And then you got Vink just sealing the deal. Yeah. Even the boss I like. The uh, Brooklyn boss. Wasn't it, Mil- wasn't it Melissa who really hated him or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, such a good one. It's Anything a- that, uh, combines like the supernatural with the movie going experience yeah. is t- hit something for me. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, uh, another cool experience. Yeah. Really um, great. Hope, hopefully we get to talk to some more people. It's yeah. been fun. 
Hope you guys have enjoyed them. What are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're going to write another episode. Ooh, yeah. Uh, this time, we're going to be talking Salute Your Shorts. Mm-hmm. So I think upping the bar a little bit in <laughs> difficulty, maybe. Yeah. So don't be a lot too of hard on us. Yeah, we had Keenan and Kel last time, <laughs> which were kind of easy to work with. Yeah. Now we've got eight characters <laughs> that are all, you know, yeah. Yeah. very specific. Um, so it'll, it'll be fun, though, I think. Yeah. And if, in the meantime, you want to come up with your uh, your own Salute Your Shorts episode, your own, you know, yeah. some people call it fan fiction, whatever you want to call yeah. it, uh, you can send it to us, and we'll, we'd be certainly happy to share it on that episode. Um, so, think about that. In the meantime, you can contact us on Twitter at BOC Podcast, on Instagram at Orange Couch Podcast, on Gmail at Orange Couch Podcast at gmail.com, uh, and you can listen to us on Podbean and iTunes, leave a review, tell a friend. Uh, these are all great ways to support the show. Um, summer's here. Yeah. Feeling good. Gonna be good. Yeah, ready. For those who don't live in the Midwest, <laughs> this is a very pleasant time yeah. of year. In, uh, in Suddenly the... life's livable, and yeah. I think uh, Nickelodeon's really, like, encapsulates that summer feel. Yeah, I think we're gonna try to figure out some summery-type stuff yeah. for the summer. Definitely. Yeah. Well, see you in next episode. Radio